let's wrap up then with key point number three. Key point number three is this. The disciples confessed Jesus. Jesus is the Christ. He is the only one who can impart power and authority. Now let's go all the way back again to the very beginning of the chapter, verse 1. Then he, that's Jesus, called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And Jesus said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. You know, Jesus gave them two things. He gave the disciples two things, power and authority. Let's look quickly at those two things. Power is the ability to do something. Power is the ability to do something. When God calls you to do something, he will also at the same time enable you to, to do that thing that he has called you to do. When God says do this, he will give you the ability, give you the power to do it. Let's consider a couple of quick examples of that. You remember the friends that brought uh, the man who couldn't walk. They brought him in on a bed, and they cut a hole in the roof, and they lowered him before Jesus. And what did Jesus say to that man? He said, take up your bed and walk. Well, that's the very thing he can't do. So, But yet Jesus told him to do it. Why? Because Jesus gives us the power. He gives us the ability to do things that we cannot do in our own strength. So if he commands you to do something, rest assured he is also going to give you the power to do the very thing he's commanded you to do. Even if it's something that you can't do in your own strength, like take up your bed and walk. Consider this, the man that came before Jesus and had a withered hand. What did Jesus tell him to do? Stretch out your hand. Well, clearly, if he could stretch out his hand, he wouldn't have a withered hand. Jesus was telling him to do something that he couldn't do of his own will. He couldn't do in his own power. So when Jesus gives a command, such as stretch out your hand, he gives us the ability and the power to do it. So every single time, Jesus gives us the power. He's given us the ability to do what he's commanded us to do. So when he tells the disciples to go out and preach the gospel and to do these things, he gives them power and authority. Power is the ability to do something. Well, what is authority? Authority is the right to do something. Authority is the right to do something. When God calls you to do something, we act on his authority and not our own. I think one of the best examples of this is, you know, that babysitter who sits up with the kid late at night, you know, and they're saying, listen, little Johnny, I need you to get to bed. You know, your mom said to get get you uh, in bed ready by eight o'clock. So it's time to get in bed. You need to go to bed. And little Johnny, you know, argues with the babysitter. You're not my mom. You can't tell me what to do. And the babysitter says, what? No, Johnny, you need to go to bed. Your mom did what? Your mom told me to tell you to get in bed by 8 o'clock. This is not the babysitter's authority. She is relying upon the authority that was given to her. 
the authority that was given to her by the mom to say, make sure that little Johnny gets in bed by 8 o'clock. When we act on our own authority, uh, we will fail. We will, you know, when, but yet when Jesus gives us something to do and we act on his authority and not our own, then we find success. Let me give you an example, a couple of examples from Scripture. When the Apostle Paul encouraged Titus, uh, he told Titus to preach and to teach the Scriptures with boldness and authority. Now, it is Christ's authority that Paul encourages Titus. And it is also Christ's authority that Titus teaches God's Word. So when, when we preach and declare God's word. It is not our own authority that we are relying upon. It is the authority of Christ himself. He has given us power. He has given us his authority, and that's who we operate within. So let's keep going. Verse 20, he said to them, but who do you say I am? This is after he's already asked who the, who, who the, who do the crowd say that I am? And they're speculating, but now Jesus shifts he wants to know from the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. And he, that's Jesus, strictly warned them and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Now, you would think that Jesus would want the disciples to do what? To tell the crowd, let the crowd know, and let everybody know, hey, Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. But why does Jesus command the disciples to tell this to no one? Jesus has an order for things to happen, a sequence of events, if you will. The crowd isn't quite sure how to answer who is Jesus. They're still speculating, and it's okay for them to speculate. He wants them to know who he is, and he wants them to know that he is the Messiah, but at the right time. And it's with the right understanding of what that means. It goes back to that idea of remedial teaching. They need to think of the Messiah as someone more than a political figure. So then we come to this question. What did the disciples do with this power and authority that was given to them? Let's look at verse 37. Now it happened on the next day when they had come down from the mountain that a great multitude met Jesus. Suddenly a man from the multitude cried out saying, Teacher, I implore you, look on my son for he is my only child and behold, a spirit seizes him and he suddenly cries out and it convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and it departs from him with great difficulty bruising him. So I implored your disciples to cast, out, cast it out but they could not. Then Jesus answered and said, O oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And as he was still coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. Then Jesus rebu rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the majesty of God. But while everyone marveled at all these things which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Let these words sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they didn't understand this saying, and it was hidden from them so that they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. 
Well, let's pause there just for a moment. You know, the, the Jesus knew the disciples wouldn't really fully understand all that he instructed them. But he wanted them to understand that his death was part of the plan. I mean, it's so important. He's, he's saying here, let these words sink down into your ears. Don't miss this. Pay attention. Get that he is, he is so intentional about making sure that the, the disciples are paying attention to this important detail. And we know that eventually the, the disciples understood the significance of his death. They understood what it means to take up their cross to, on a daily basis and to deny themselves, to, to die to themselves. We know that because even the Apostle Paul writes about it. We see in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So you would expect then the disciples to do what? You expect the disciples to say something like, we know you gave us power and authority and we couldn't even heal this young boy in need. Lord, would you forgive us for our doubt? But that's not exactly what they do. I want you to listen how the disciples end up responding. Look at verse 46. Then a dispute among them arose among them as to which of them would be greatest and Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and set him by him and said to them, Whoever receives this little child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you, least among you all, will be great. Now John answered and said, uh, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. Oh, you know, when, I, when I'm reading that, Jesus is making this point, and he has this little child that he's brought up, and he's saying, Listen, you, you were saying, and then John turns around, and it's like, uh, Hey, we saw somebody casting out demons, and they weren't with us, they weren't following us. It's like, I can just I can just feel the tension here that they're still not getting it. But thank goodness they eventually got it, right? Praise God, they they eventually got it. But let me tell you real quick about someone from church history. Let me tell you about an individual from church history. The Bible uh, doesn't tell us the name of the boy who sat on Jesus' lap. However, Church history tells us the scholars and many scholars have identified that this was Ignatius of Antioch. Ignatius, a young boy that was named Ignatius. Uh, much of the history of Ignatius's life is very well documented and even authenticated. Uh, he would have been a child during the time of Jesus' earthly ministry. And as an adult, he wrote a lot of letters about first century church life what it was like to, to serve in the church and the roles within a church. A lot of what we know about uh, church leadership, we can gain from uh, reading the, the writings of Ignatius. But not only that, Ignatius was a disciple of John the Apostle. So maybe John was listening. Maybe John did hear whoever receives uh, this little child. And John took that child and uh, under his wing and discipled him. 
But Ignatius began many letters this way. This is how he would begin. He would say, Ignatius, who is also Theophorus. Theophorus. Now, the word Theophorus, what does that mean? Well, it's in its passive tense. It means he who is carried by God. So we have this idea that obviously Theophorus was not his name. Ignatius was his name. But he uses this, this name Theophorus as a descriptor that he is someone who God himself has carried. And we think of that as this boy uh, that uh, Jesus lifted up, uh, sat on his lap and, and, and talked with. Ignatius certainly knew who Christ was. There's no doubt about that. We see that in his, in his writings, in the history of who he was. In fact, Ignatius placed his faith in Jesus and daily picked up his cross and followed him. Ignatius understood that. In fact, Ignatius was arrested for confessing his faith in Christ, and he was taken in chains to Rome. While he was en route to Rome, he wrote a letter to the church in Smyrna. And I want you to listen to his own words as he's on his way to be executed. Quote, Nearness to the sword is nearness to God. To be among the wild beasts is to be in the arms of God. Only let it be in the name of Jesus Christ. I endure all things that I may suffer together with him. Since he became perfect, man strengthens me. End quote. And on October 17th, in the year 107, Antioch, uh, Ignatius of Antioch was taken into the Colosseum in Rome. The events of that day were almost finished, and he was taken and thrown into the arena with two fierce lions who immediately devoured him. At no point in time did Ignatius attempt to run. At no point in time did he attempt to escape this miserable death. Instead, he embraced this moment as picking up his own cross as what he called a, quote, true sacrifice. Ignatius wrote, we have not only to be called Christians, but to be Christians. Do you know who Jesus is? Ignatius did. He is the one who has all power and authority. And just as he carried this young boy in scripture, he can carry you. Oh, that we would never lose sight of who Jesus is. And that leads me to one last thought. When your focus shifts from answering who is Jesus to who is the greatest, you've gotten off track because Jesus is the greatest.